millions of Christians face intense persecution and risk their lives for the sake of the gospel. Vom Oz Radio supports persecuted Christians, giving a voice to the testimony of those who have been denied a voice. Our programs inform and encourage Christians in Australia and around the world to mobilize and to stand with our persecuted brothers and sisters in Christ. Welcome to Vom Oz Radio, voice for the persecuted. Welcome back. My name is Todd Nettleton. You know, God is at work in places all around the world. Churches are growing. People are coming to faith in Christ. Brother John has a unique perspective on God's work across the globe, and he's going to tell us some of what he has seen. He is the Vice President of Global Engagement for the International Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention. I happened to be traveling when John came to visit our headquarters So my colleague, Kim, graciously agreed to interview Brother John. You may remember Kim interviewed my wife and I about our trip to the Middle East just a few months ago. Kim, like me, has traveled the world to interview persecuted Christians. She has written many of their stories for The Voice of the Martyrs magazine. Let's join this conversation between my colleague, Kim, and Brother John from the International Mission Board. Brother John, can you tell me, what does it mean that you're the VP for Global Engagement? What does your role encompass? Well, one of the great things that I get to have the opportunity to do is to look into all of the places around the world where we see the gospel going forward. And uh, as a leader who uh, is connected to our Southern Baptist churches and then connected to the churches that we see emerging around the world, I get to see that whole range of stuff and help influence our folks to, to know different things and, and to have just a, a real strong center on the authority of Scripture and abiding in Christ as the heart of the missionary task. Hmm. So I saw, uh, as I was chatting with one of your former colleagues, that you are also a missionary kid. Can you talk a little bit about your background and the places that you've lived? Well, growing up, it it has been a privilege. Um, My dad was always my hero. My dad taught in a theological education center in the Bahamas before it was better in the Bahamas. Everybody was going to Cuba in those days. But as soon as uh, he had an opportunity, he wanted to go someplace and plant his life where the gospel hadn't really gone. And uh, British Guiana in those days was the place that had a real strong communist influence there. On the day we were flying in, I was six years old, and uh, we got out, and the communist leader for British Guiana at that point, fighting for independence, Chetty Jagan, was on our same flight. So when we arrived, there was all these banners, Yankees go home, and it was one of those vivid anti-American moments. But there was a sign there that said, we want freedom now. And my dad focused on that, and he said, all true freedom is found in Christ. So that was what he took away, and he spent uh, till the mid-70s there, and then after that, he... uh, also went to Belize and Central America. So that we were in the typical missions of really the 20th century. It was was really evangelizing places that you could go as a missionary. Mm -hmm. And so then what was your own process to go into missions? Was that something that you um, did willingly or was it something that you had to adjust your heart for? Both. I think what I was willing to do 
was to do the fun stuff and sort of a more humanitarian aid kind of things, hmm. which I still deeply enjoy and find as a, a key thing. But along the way, the Lord had to take me down the path so that he honed into my heart the authority of his word and the missionary task is not just about helping people in need. It's about helping people have a relationship with him mm. and that we are simply witnesses or ambassadors of of who he is. Now, he cares about their physical uh, situations, their intellectual situations. He cares about all of those things. But at the heart of it, you know, God is about bringing the message that uh, to a rebel world, a world that says it's about me, uh, they're focused on self, to a understanding that he is seeking them. And, you know, surrender to God brings us back to the place where we can find that true meaning and the health that comes when we're actually walking with a God who came to meet us and then said, follow me. Hmm. And so after a journey along that way, I was so ready for him to say go. Hmm. And so in 1992, he said, okay, you're ready. Mm -hmm. And we ended up being primarily in the Arab world. So did you spend some time learning language before that? I, I, I focused solely on Arabic during mm -hmm. that time. Um, now, I was doing stuff. I mean, you know, ministry is not something that you just say, oh, I'm going to take five years off from that. No, mm -hmm. you're, you're, you're using it. You're learning. You want to be able to, to involve in that and chip through that barrier between you and other people. And so for four years, on and off, with a lot of other things going on, uh, I focused on Arabic. My family focused more on French mm -hmm. because um, being in the Francophone part of the Arab world, they needed that just to go to school and other things like that. Mm -hmm. But um, but they all got some Arabic as well. And today I have a son who is back in that part of the world. And he has exceeded me in a lot of ways because his language of both Arabic and French uh, has uh, brought him in at a different level to start with. Mm -hmm. So I think it was you as I was looking at the pastime that you were here with us, you mentioned wishing that parents would be strategic in teaching their children language uh, from an early age, meaning a, a language that they could use to help reach the world. And that hit me. I have an 11-year-old and an 8-year-old, and just thinking about how to parent them well and to be focused on kingdom work, not on, you know, success here on the earth. Um, so I guess you're saying that by your son having that basis in Arabic and French, it's helped him now in what he's doing. Yeah. And my daughter. Uh -huh. uh, my daughter also speaks Arabic and French. So, you know, they started out almost adult to adult. You know, mm. a lot of times when we go, we start out as like an infant in mm. the language and we have to grow to adulthood. But they, they, they had a, a big jump. And my youngest one, uh, who's a nurse, uh, she's looking about going soon. Mm -hmm. I take her places that, you know, and uh, I introduce her to different Arabic people we know. And they, uh, they always had told me, oh, you speak such good Arabic. And then when she walks in the room, <laughs> their eyes light up and say, oh, she really speaks Arabic. Mm -hmm. So I, I always encourage them to, you know, find what God has for you. And my youngest is a nurse. My my oldest daughter, uh, is, she's a 
professional licensed counselor mm-hmm. and doing that. And my son studied physics, mm-hmm. but they all have now come to the place where they said that we want to, we want to go back and we want to serve in that part of the world. Yeah. And, um, not by my coercion, I hope in any way, but by being touched by the Lord and knowing that following him is where true meaning in life is found. Mm-hmm. And I would 100% agree with that. As we discussed a few minutes ago, I also grew up on the mission field. And that was the thing that was really most impressive on me is that you need your life to have purpose. And if you're going to want it to have purpose, you follow the thing that's the most important thing in the world. But I think it's interesting that you're With children... a destiny in eternity. Exactly. The destiny. I, I see lots of people who think they have purpose, mm. but the, the destiny of it stops short. Mm-hmm of the grave. Mm. This goes past the grave to eternity beyond. Yes. Yes. And your children have chosen professions that could very easily be used overseas in especially the Muslim world where they could go as professionals and then have influence where they are, which I think, um, as I'm observing, is kind of the the new movement in missions. People realize that we can't go only as church planters or whatever, that sometimes we're more effective when we also have a um, business reason for being there. And, you know, that's a little bit more biblical than you think. I mean, who did Jesus go after? Well, eventually he got Paul, mm-hmm. who was really a religious scholar and and great guy and very important to the whole task. We all like that. A lot of people want to be the new Pauls. I always tell them, read 1 Corinthians before you sign up for that. But right. uh, but our 2 Corinthians, rather, you need to be ready for the beatings and the shipwrecks and the stonings, etc. But, um, but Jesus, for, I had a fascination with like tax collectors. Mm-hmm. I mean, really? <laughs> you know, uh, the person he was amazed at was the centurion who said, I do am a man under authority. Say, So he, Jesus was about people from all walks of life and how they carried out the, the commission that he would give them on that day uh, and know that the very last words in that commission is, and behold, you know, lo, I'm going to be with you every day to the end of the age. And so this is not a a, a journey of uh, just, hey, you have this mission, you go find it. It is walking with him into those things through whatever avenue, whether, you know, you're a doctor like Luke or you're, uh, you know, uh, actually a tradesperson like uh, Priscilla and Aquila and doing those kind of things, or just on down through the list. I think it's very biblical, and I think it crosses barriers that traditional uh, roles have uh, a little more problem doing. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. Not that we don't need some of both. Well, body of Christ. We need yes. all the different parts of the body and not exactly, neglect any yeah. one of those. So um, during your time in leadership with uh, the IMB in the Arab world, I know you have had some difficult things happen with various team members. You mentioned just now being prepared as a gospel worker to face some of those difficult things, like you said Paul did. Um, So I know that you had something with some colleagues that happened in Yemen at the Jibla Hospital. Jibla Baptist Hospital, by the way. Can you talk about that? Sure. Uh, last October 10th, I got an email that, that tied me back to a, a article written by a Yemeni in a Yemeni-focused thing, and he talked about the betrayal of Dr. Martha Myers. 
So she was a famous person there. She was known as a Southern Baptist uh, doctor who cared about people there, and uh, she certainly was on mission. And just reading through that and hearing, you know, I, this guy even had, you know, the the fields are white under harvest, and, um, you know, we need more workers to come into the harvest. He said workers like Dr. Martha Myers made a huge difference. And, uh, this and was a secular in many publications? This is, yeah, I don't know this guy. Hmm. I think he's Muslim, actually. Hmm. But it was interesting to hear that because of the quality of, of her life. Hmm. But, you know, I early on in my leadership in, in that part of the world... She and the administrator in the hospital ended up at my table. Mm. And, uh, you know, we're discussing things. But I heard in, in her something, in both the administrator and her, uh, something that just touched me. They said, you know, God called us, and we have given our lives to Yemeni people. We, we'll die if we don't, if we can't carry out the, the call that the Lord has said, follow me into Yemen. And it took me back as I watched that. And I remember on the day that they were shot and killed, uh, I was in East Africa and I got on a plane. I got there and I walked through that place. And and during that same week, as I walked through the, the small town of Jibla, which is near Ib, far out, um, I, I heard people coming up to me and they said, you know, uh, when I was... My mother was pregnant with me, Dr. Myers. She she helped us, and she saved my mother's life and my life. Mm. And uh, Or somewhere, somebody come and say, oh, she sewed up a wound right here on my leg, which I would have bled to death otherwise. I, just people after that. And, and for, for uh, Bill Kane, who was also there at that time, I had a guy come up to me on that, just walking through that city. He said, on last Sunday, on the Sunday before he died on Monday, he had 102 donkeys loaded up with lentils and rice and oil and several other things to take out to the widows and divorcees across that part of Yemen and got into the middle of the town there. And there's a little sort of plaza kind of place there. It was packed with people from that town and an official stepped out and uh, he told me, he said, nobody from this town shot and killed hmm. our friends, hmm. said, if our, our, to tell the truth, he said, if our government remembered us, it's surprising. They mostly forsook us. Uh, if our religion, they didn't care about where we went, but the Baptist at the Baptist hospital, they cared. Hmm. And then he went on to say that uh, Mr. Bill, he was a Sephardi, a law. To us, he was the ambassador of God to us, Doctora Martha. Mm. She was a Sifara, Allah, mm. the ambassador, and he went on through that. And and this article that I read uh, confirmed what I knew at that point when the police found this man Kamel, and uh, and took him in. He said the reason that I had to put a stop to Dr. Martha is I brought my wife there for treatment and she touched her with such kindness and love that my wife was just talking about what a noble woman she was. And I knew if I did not stop this woman that everyone would want to be a Christian. Wow. And that day he walked in and shot her through the eye and, mm. and killed her instantly. And, mm. 
and um, Mr. Bill, they shot in the chest, and he died shortly after, and Kathy, uh, who was over our less known, but the the manager of the the warehouse for mm-hmm. drugs and shot the three of them, shot at another guy, hit him in the side, but he survived. And, mm. But God was good. And, you know, uh, standing there with Bill's wife, she said, John, for 28 years, they've seen us live in Christ. Now they've seen us die in Christ. Mm. The church will grow. Mm. And slowly but surely, you know, God is at work in all sorts of places. Because, you know, if you see what he said to Zacchaeus, he said, you know, today... I've come to your house, but you know, I'm here to seek and save the lost. Mm -hmm. And so over the years, we've seen wonderful things happen, inspiring others Mm. to want to do that. What year was that when she died? They died on the last day of 2002. Okay. It's almost 19 years ago. So it was in 2020, 21 that the article was written this year, Mm. the end of this year. It's very few of us who are remembered well enough to have an article written about us 19 years after our passing. She must have had a big impact on them. Yes. Yeah. You mentioned uh, at the beginning your passion for the authority of God's Word, and I know that you are in particular passionate about um, getting God's Word to those who are illiterate or less literate. Could you talk about some of those works? Well, uh, yes, because really 64% of the planet functions with a oral approach to life. So, so what are some of the unique ways that you're getting Bibles to oral people who are absorbing it orally? A lot of things that happen with apps that really have the Bible that can be read mm-hmm. to you. Um, version is a great way. We make sure that anything that we uh, have, you know, any kind of proprietary rights to uh, translations, we, we want them there and we want them uh, we want those resources done because, you know, those people have have figured that out well. But in lots of places where, I mean, the world does have Internet, but, you know, we just find other kinds of ways for it to go down to the simplest of devices. Mm-hmm. Uh, not always the smartphone, but the simplest of devices so that they can be able to listen and hear and to move that forward. Of course, we also train a lot of folks in how to craft Bible stories so that they're going in knowing that it must match God's Word. It needs to have the intent of God's Word. It needs to have the key, the key words need to be found to explain the key elements of God's Word and, and working and putting that in and testing it out and making sure that there's understanding there as those things are are taught and people receive it and move it. And, you know, we're also very much interested in the 72 plus million people who are deaf. Mm. And so we're working very hard uh, with, um, with deaf, way, deaf Pathway Bible. Mm-hmm. Even if you have written stuff, it's, it's because of a vocalization that that word comes together mm-hmm. and you can hear. But moving it into sign. Mm so that it becomes fluent in the way that people communicate with their eyes and their expressions and all of those kind of things. And moving that whole process forward, we've seen amazing things that have happened when deaf people realize, oh, you know, when Jesus was here, he had a heart for deaf. And, you know, you remember that, that situation where Jesus brings 
the deaf person over to him away from him and he touches his ears and he raises their eyes in a gesture that is always about something bigger. Uh, and that deaf person was able to hear. Mm -hmm. And Jesus brought that message in a sign way to that person. Mm -hmm. And we want to see that happen too. It's a visual kind of orality. Mm -hmm. um, they, they are so visual, but they, they have to have it done differently. And it's amazing to see how God is using those who see his word signed out. It just breaks another barrier. And for people to have it in their heart, to have the gospel and the truth of the Bible in their heart. And linguists talk about your heart language being the best way to get the truth of the word of God inside your heart. And for deaf people, the heart language is a different type. Through the of, eyes. Exactly. So in closing, what do we need to be focused on? What is your call to us? Well, twofold. Uh, I'm here in your town, mm -hmm. and I was sitting at lunch with a pastor, or breakfast uh, with a pastor, and he said, I wish you could have somebody who would come and help us figure out how to reach South Asians. And we need to find out how to reach those that God has brought to us. Mm. And that's very important. And we, I think we all have to look at it and say, the Great Commission, the Lord is uh, speeding it up because he says, I'm going to bring it close to my followers, and I expect them to follow me into the lives of those that I brought. I, instead of flying around the world, I got them to fly to you. So every church needs to look at its community and say, who has God brought into our midst, and how can we serve those people in a way that we can do the most important thing, introduce them to the God of heaven who is seeking after them. And we cannot quit sending our brothers and sisters, to the least reach, crossing over. With the IMB, 91% uh, of our team, our team members are focused on unreached peoples and places. Find your place. God knows you. He's designed you. He wants you to follow him. It's not just your pastor that follows them, not just uh, other kind of people. Every person must, when we, when we receive that great gift, follow Jesus. That's what I would say. Christians in hostile nations may live far from us. As believers, we know that we are one with them and part of the body of Christ. As such, we can't ignore their suffering. If the Holy Spirit is impressing you to know more and support the work of Voice of the Martyrs, please visit our website at vom.com.au. All donations of $2 and more a tax deductible in Australia. This has been a production of Vom Oz Radio, Voice for the Persecuted.